Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Muriwa Gawaza, and for today, we do get into um, some uh, hard-hitting economics. Um, it's, it's, it's been a while since we explored uh, a, a wide range of uh, different topics, and we're going to be talking to someone uh, who is no stranger to our platform, uh, welcoming her again. And there's a bunch of things that we're going to be you know, getting out of the way all the way from uh, China's regulatory crackdown uh, to the recent uh, midterm budget as well as uh, inflation rates um, in South Africa and I think a little bit about uh, what's going on in terms of the monetary policy as well as uh, inflation concerns. So to help us to unpack all of this stuff, uh, please help me uh, to welcome again we have uh, Sanisha uh, Pekirasami who is uh, an economist over at a Momentum Investment. Uh, Sanisha, greetings to you once again. Hi, Madiva. Really good to be chatting with you again. Um, it's uh, there's a lot that's actually transpired uh, since we last uh, since we last spoke to you, and I think uh, you know there's uh, there's a lot that's been going on in South Africa and uh, and around the world. So maybe you could give us uh, you know a bit of uh, a bit of insight. I think um, one of the first things that I'm interested to uh, get your thoughts on is inflation, uh, because we saw uh, the Monetary Policy Committee coming out. Out, um, with the 25 basis point uh, interest hike, um, you know, after you know, all, after more than a year of things just being put on hold because it was like, let's help the people as much as we can, let's give them relief, let's give them pressure. Uh, but one of the messages being signaled is that um, inflation concerns are sort of starting to seep through, and one of the ways that we you know start to control that is with uh, interest rates locally. But it's not only in South Africa. Globally, this seems to be a concern uh, that is out there. So, you know, starting with those global inflation fears, what are you seeing out there um, in terms of that? You know, what do you, what's driving it and where do you see things going? Sure, Madiwa. So as you correctly point out, I think one of the biggest topics that has emerged in the last couple of months is this massive global inflation scare. And uh, many market participants initially spoke about us potentially returning to the 1970s which was a period of the great inflation, which lasted for more than a decade. And those were quite tough economic times because not only did we have periods of very high inflation, but we also had two economic recessions that really hurt the consumer's pocket. So I think those fears are very live once again. But I do caution that the drivers of global inflation this time around are quite different. So back then, it was predominantly a supply issue that emanated from the energy market. This time around, demand is also playing a factor. So even though that gap between demand and supply is as great now as it was back in the 70s, in the 70s, we saw supply really crashing and demand remaining relatively steady. This time around, we've actually seen a recovery in supply, but that recovery in supply has not been enough to actually match the surge in demand that we've experienced. And that surge in demand really came about on the back of accumulated savings. We know that in response to the COVID-19 pandemic and the associated lockdown restrictions that came with it, governments then responded very strongly in order to shore up economic activity. In some cases, they literally wrote out checks to households and businesses to spend in 
the economy. And as the restrictions started to wane in these economies, a lot of this pent-up demand was then unleashed and supply at that point in time couldn't match. So we have a number of these supply demand gaps in the market or what we'd call bottlenecks. And in some cases, it is exacerbated by what the Bank for International Settlements calls the bullwhip effect, which is essentially markets that already have very tight supplies, but you also have a hoarding effect. And that hoarding just exacerbates the tight supplies. And so we have a situation of an even tighter bottleneck. We've also seen input costs in the energy markets, other raw material inputs, uh, shipping costs also going up quite drastically. And uh, we are expecting some of these to unwind going into next year, which is, again, a little bit of a difference to what we saw playing out in the period of the great inflation, which persisted for quite some time. Perhaps as a perhaps as a quick follow up, you know, to what uh, what we're seeing, um, you know, to what you've just said right now. What we're seeing right now, if you contrast that to, uh, I guess, the past periods, um, this is one of those situations where uh, normally we have. Um, how how else can I say this? We have isolated incidents um, where we see, you know, certain things happening. So uh, if I just track the last hundred years, for example, uh, you would have had, you know, an early 1900s stock market crash in the U.S., for example, um, or in the 1910s, you may have had World War One, which was fought in, you know, particular parts of Europe and then World War Two, Cold War, all of that. And it's always isolated isolated around the world to say that, okay, there's this crisis, this conflict, this great depression that's happening in that part of the world. And usually, yes, there might be some, you know, some seeping effect, uh, you know, to other parts of the world. But these things are usually, um, you know, all over the world, you know, in different parts. But right now, we face a unique situation where we're all facing the same challenge. How do you see that as having sort of affected, uh, I guess, the response or how, um, you know, central banks or any other authorities can actually deal with something like what we have right now? At the moment, we have seen a number of central banks reacting to this increase in inflation by actually raising interest rates already. Um, in fact, the South African Reserve Bank is almost late to the party in that sense, except for the fact that in the domestic environment, we're not experiencing the same type of inflation scale that many countries are experiencing globally. So I do think that we had the right stance. Um, if we look at what is happening on the, the global front, we've seen, you know, a surge in both food and fuel costs, which has really driven your headline inflation figures higher. But when you start to strip these out, the dispersion of inflation in the rest of the basket, in other words, how many categories are actually experiencing high inflation at the same time? This is only true for, you know, a small handful of economies like the United States, where in July, more than a third of the basket was increasing at a pace that was greater than 4%, whereas a year ago, you know, that figure was around 7% in terms of 7% of the basket experiencing such high levels of inflation. Now, that is one of the economies that is experiencing a very high level of dispersion of inflation. But for many other markets, core inflation or underlying inflation, once you strip out the impact of the global food and oil price shocks, are not actually experiencing inflation rates that look too out of kilter with what we've experienced in the past. 
So I think that is quite an important factor to mention that it seems to be a handful of categories that are experiencing very high levels of inflation. And the International Monetary Fund actually goes as far as to say that the level of dispersion in inflation globally today is actually much less than what we experienced during the global financial crisis. In fact, the pressures are really emanating from three main categories today, and that is food, transport, and the housing market. Whereas many of the other categories of inflation are still reasonably well behaved. But to answer your question, you know, the response from many central banks around the world has been to hike interest rates as they fear a de-anchoring of inflation expectations. Um, you know, because the central bank has, you know, gone out and uh, put up the interest rates as it has in response to what they're doing, and you highlight the fact that they have been a bit late to the party, there's this expectation that we are going to see a series of hikes, um, you know, over the next coming months, you know, maybe uh, to a year. Um, do you sort of see us going back to, I guess, where we were uh, just before lockdown? I'm guessing at the time, if I remember correctly, must have been sitting at around uh, 4.5, 4.75% somewhere there. Uh, or do you sort of see uh, us going beyond that? Because in, in essence, what we're experiencing is uh, is somewhat of a correction. Well, Madhua, I actually agree with their decision to hold off on interest rates up until this point. In fact, we were actually calling for no interest rate hike at the most recent Monetary Policy Committee meeting for the simple reason that the risks to the growth outlook had actually fallen to the downside. And the inflation forecasts were relatively unchanged from the previous Monetary Policy Committee meeting. Um, so from that perspective, you know, our dynamics hadn't really shifted and the Reserve Bank together with the market and in line with our own forecasts believe that inflation is going to remain quite close to the midpoint of the inflation target band. So with reasonably well-behaved inflation and quite a moribund growth outlook for the next few years, it doesn't really suggest that we need to see a very aggressive path of interest rate tightening from here, like in some other emerging markets, which are experiencing a de-anchoring of inflation expectations and inflation creeping from the headline level into the underlying measures of inflation. In South Africa, there are some specific components of our consumer basket that are still experiencing downside risks to inflation. Um, unlike what we're seeing in some of the other emerging markets. And uh, as a result, I, I, I don't think we need to increase that pace of tightening uh, to such an extent, given that the growth outlook is still quite soft and we're not actually experiencing any de-anchoring of our inflation expectations to date. Um, I think for a moment, you know, because I think we've spoken quite a bit about what's going on in terms of inflation, uh, perhaps we can take a step back, uh, zoom out a little bit to go to another part of the world, because um, a lot of people tend to look at uh, the US when it comes to, you know, these issues of interest rates. But um, that's in the West. But in the East, we've been seeing a lot of stuff happening in terms of um 
a regulatory crackdown, particularly um, where technology companies are involved. And we've been feeling a little bit of that uh, here in South Africa because um, of companies like Naspers. You know, your thoughts just around all of that and whether it's something that uh, is going to actually affect our oxygen here in South Africa or will we continue sort of just seeing it as something that's playing out over there? Well, Madhu, I think it's very difficult to see such huge changes in such a large economy not impacting the rest of the globe. Um, and as you say, China's been a very interesting story of late. It basically dominated news headlines not too long ago. And the biggest shift that we've seen in China is, is quite a big shift in terms of their focus. You know, back in the days of Deng, they were saying that they wanted to get people rich in China. And that meant a very high growth of an environment trying to make that economic pie bigger. But we've now shifted to an environment where they actually want to divide that pie more equally. So instead of focusing on this high growth environment, we are now focusing on quality growth. And back in the day, any changes that were made were very slow and deliberate. And I think what really caused the market jitters that we saw not too long ago was that we saw authorities making very aggressive changes on almost all fronts. Um, previously, you know, there was a single objective in China, and that was really around growth. Um, of course, feeding into that was shadow banking, the credit markets and housing. But these days, they are focusing on a more multifaceted approach. So they haven't, you know, completely done away with that growth objective. It's just de-emphasized a bit, not abandoned per se. But they are now also focusing on things like productivity, the green economy, financial stability, and this theme, which has cropped up more recently, common prosperity, which is really a socialist type of stance and a stance leading to higher quality growth and more equal growth for all. And I think one of the factors that has led us to this point is back in the day when they were focusing on making the economic pie bigger, there were a lot of new entrants that were coming into the job market. So they had to have a high level of growth in order to sustain social stability at that point. But we are now reaping the negative consequences of the one-child policy, and we're actually seeing a shrinking labor force. And as a result, that focus has now gone away from high growth, and now it's moved towards this focus on equality. And in this kind of environment with this type of focus, it does start to change the policy focus in some areas. So as an example, with this type of redistribution taking place, the party's influence in China is going to be quite high. They will have their fingers in almost all pies. And unfortunately, it does mean that things like innovation is going to take a little bit of a back step in order to promote equality and redistribution. I think there will also be an impact on trade tensions and just tensions in general between the two greatest economic powers of the globe being the United States and China. Um, you know, The Economist came out with an article recently suggesting that China is trying to promote their authoritarian government uh, and putting it up one for one against the U.S.'s democratic system um, and trying to see you know, who will be the winner from this. Uh, so not necessarily to say that it will be specific trade tensions, but I do think we are going to see a lot of headbutting when it comes to issues that are political, economic and social in nature, where the U.S. and China have very different ideological stances. 
Uh, and then perhaps um, on the last point when it comes to this one, because, you know, as you said, um, you have this continuing, um, I guess, war of words and war of policies uh, between those two, you know, big economic powers, uh, the U.S. and China. And, uh, you know, sometimes it feels like uh, there's this saying. Uh, that says when elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. And uh, you, you sort of get the sense in certain cases that um, the contagion effect will be sort of felt more by um, surrounding countries um, as opposed to the two, you know, big powers. What do you make of South Africa's stance, um, you know, when it comes to its position in relation to the two countries? Because um, they are big you know, trading partners for the country, uh, but uh, the the South African government has has kind of not been shy to sort of show in certain cases that they do, you know, tend to um, what's the word I'm looking for? Side with the East in some ways. You know, I think we've already seen an example of this playing out, and this was under the Donald Trump administration when we saw uh, the tariff war playing out between these two global superpowers. And the tensions that came with that did filter into financial markets and it did have a ripple effect into countries that have a very small open economy like South Africa. And, and going forward, I think these trade tensions or tensions between these two superpowers could have a negative impact on risk sentiment in markets. And I think that is the angle at which South Africa can suffer through the ripple effect of negative sentiment, because that means that we go off into a risk off type of environment and investors don't want to be hands on risky assets like emerging markets in that kind of environment where this ripples through into financial markets, we can actually see South Africa being on the back foot. And then uh, I guess a good place for maybe us to end off is coming back uh, home. We've spoken about uh, global inflationary uh, pressures. We've spoken about interest rates. Uh, we've even delved into, um, you know, what's going on in terms of uh, those tensions between um, the U.S. and China. Uh, things don't seem to be, you know, letting up that much in despite a, um, a shift in terms of uh, leadership there. Uh, but more importantly, Importantly, uh, the crackdown that we're seeing and uh, it's always interesting seeing how a policy, I think you highlighted the one child policy from decades ago, is actually filtering in and affecting um, our way of life and oxygen today in 2021. Um, so just coming back home, I think one of the big ones that's recently happened outside of the NPC decision was... Um, Minister Ngondongwana's um, inaugural midterm budget speech, you know, and um, very, very interesting. I thought, um, you know, he, he, he struck a positive tone, but uh, at the same time, it wasn't really his speech. Your thoughts? He did indeed, you know, give the market something to digest in a more positive way. So we saw the fixed income market quite happy with the news of the budget even though the overall fiscal deficit and debt ratio numbers actually missed the, the targets that the market was envisaging. But if we look at the overall numbers on the revenue side, we have had an enormous kicker from commodity prices. Uh, but this was a commodity price windfall, which means that it's not permanent in nature and can very well disappear as commodity prices roll over. And this worries me that we don't have this permanent 
extra revenue coming in when we are discussing policies on the expenditure side that may be permanent in nature. Um, and one of these policies is, of course, an extension of the social grant system. Um, you know, we know that no one can really argue that there isn't poverty in SA. There really is, you know, a high level of poverty in South Africa. Um, there was a really great study that was done by the Peter Maritzburg Economic Justice and Dignity Group in a September report that they wrote. And uh, they basically looked at the general worker in South Africa. So someone who does packing or cleaning or is a delivery person. And they looked at their average wage, which is just over 3,600 rand. And once they subtract their transport and electricity costs, we end up with around 1,650 odd. But this individual on average is supporting an average of 4.3 members. They are the breadwinner for 4.3 members of a household. And once you divide out that remaining cash, you basically have 384 rand to spend per person. And if we look at the food poverty line of 624, um, you know, it does suggest that about a third of South Africa lives under this food poverty line. So this does mean that we have to address this issue. And when government decided upon the social relief of distress grant, there were around nine and a half million people that came forward that weren't receiving any other form of social grant and they did not have any form of employment. So once the social relief of distress grant rolls out at the end of March, these people will be left destitute unless some employment creation prospects come about or if we have some extension of the social grant system. But of course, once we start paying this, it's very difficult to take it back. So this becomes an expenditure line item that will then make a permanent feature in the budget, but there's no permanent revenue stream to match that. And the other issue that I'm also quite worried about is the wage bill. There is still an outstanding court case on the 2018 wage agreement. And by the time we get to the end of March next year, it will be time for a new wage agreement to be put in place. And of course, that will all depend on how the negotiations run between government and the trade unions between now and then. I guess, you know, it, it is going to be an interesting one, um, you know, to think about and look at, especially um, to sort of see where uh, Minister Ngonungwana actually focuses his energy uh, because you did mention a number of different areas such as, um, you know, the the what do you call this the wage gap um you know i myself thought it might have been um, a good moment to to maybe do something um around energy uh, because i we do understand the fact that this was tito mboweni's speech and uh, not speech his it was tito mboweni's budget and there was sort of little room you know to wiggle around but just given the spate of load shedding uh, that we've been seeing over the last uh, couple of months it may you know that may have been it it's i feel it it was an extraordinary enough um of a circumstance um, to actually see a situation where we do see a new minister coming in and making a change uh, that's fundamental because uh, you have this issue that's uh, affecting everyone. Um, 
But apart from that, um, I guess we can end off, you know, getting your thoughts around uh, the outlook um, because we do, we do have some growth projections that have come out of the, you know, Reserve Bank recently for South Africa. Um, and at the same time, as we are looking forward to um, Minister Gonwana's speech and all of these different things, we've got a new uh, variant of COVID-19 that's just been detected in South Africa. Thoughts of, uh, you know, fourth wave coming, um, vaccinations, all of those different cocktail um, of factors you know how are you seeing the outlook um, and you know what type of things are you keeping an eye on well i think that the downside risks still prevail quite strongly both in the global environment and the local environment and of course the number one downside risk is new variants of COVID-19 and potential associated lockdown measures that come with that. We've already seen uh, earlier on this week Germany contemplating more stringent forms of lockdown uh, given the rise in COVID-19 cases that we've seen arising in Europe. In the South African environment going into 2022, we are expecting quite a significant softening of the growth profile. I think what really boosted growth this year in 2021 was household spending. Part of that came from a much quicker bounce back in wage growth and what we had originally anticipated, but also there was quite a lot of support from government to households and to small businesses. Now, going into 2022, we are facing an environment where global growth is likely to slow, which means that the demand for South African exports is likely to slow. If we are coming off a base of, let's say, level two restrictions going down further in the course of 2022, there's not that much extra economic activity that gets unleashed as what we had this year, moving from you know higher levels of lockdown to lower levels of lockdown. And in addition, we are still battling very high levels of unemployment in South Africa, structurally in most cases, and this is likely to have a very negative bearing on consumption expenditure going forward. Now, you mentioned the electricity sector reforms. I think this will allow fixed investment to make some headway, but we've seen in the last couple of years, our fixed investment ratio relative to gross domestic product has fallen quite sharply relative to our emerging market peer group. And uh, that suggests quite soft trend growth from here. Um, given that we haven't actually done the investment that we need to. So that's really on the growth front. I'm not too worried about inflation for the next few years. Uh, we still have a lot of downward pressure coming through from rental market as well as from the medical aid inflation. Um, and that should allow the Reserve Bank to take their time with interest rate increases. Uh, we see another three interest rate increases coming through for next year and a further three the year after that. And that is a bit of a softer profile than what the, the Reserve Bank's internal model uh, suggests. And of course, the internal model doesn't dictate monetary policy, as they've mentioned before. It's just nearly an input. Uh, but looking at that model, we think it does look a little bit aggressive relative to where the forecasts for growth and inflation are domestically. All right. So that's been it for today. We were talking to uh, Sanisha uh, Pakirasamy, who is an economist over at Momentum Investments, giving us some insight into a number of uh, different uh, aspects in the economy uh, that um, we've been uh, we, that have actually been tracking um, through 2021 and especially in the last couple of months. Um, the most pressing thing at the moment is uh, global infl uh, inflationary uh, pressures. 
numbers uh, that are currently that are currently uh, be, that have currently beset a number of economies around the world. And then at the same time, uh, there's a regulatory crackdown in uh, in China uh, that has actually been affecting a number of companies um, in that country, but also seeping into um, South Africa, especially um, where where you think about uh, a company like Naspers uh, with its ownership uh, with its ownership stake in a country in a company like Tencent, and then also then talking about. Uh, local inflationary pressures as well as the recent uh, midterm budget speech by minister uh, gondongwana as well as you know where things you know could go um just in terms of you know that budget um sanisha I- i'm actually realizing that you know one of the things that we didn't uh, quite spare a moment for just now maybe we could quickly touch on is uh, you know just a quick one is uh, you know elections so the local government elections were very interesting indeed this time around. Um, I think we saw a lot, lot of interesting new aspects that we haven't seen before in the South African environment. Um, the one issue that we have seen before is declining interest in voting, but it has been exacerbated in the most recent election. Uh, we actually saw the lotus, lowest voter turnout in history. There were 14.2 million people that were registered to vote that just didn't turn up on the day. Um, The other interesting factor that we saw was really big electoral losses for our big parties. So if you look at the number of votes that the African National Congress received back in 2011, this was sitting at 16.7 million. Uh, This has basically dwindled down to 11 million in the most recent elections. For the DA, that figure went from 8 million to 5 million. And of course, with the um, economic freedom fighters, they weren't around in 2011. But if we compare the 2016 votes, which were 2.4 million, have now come down to 1.3 million. So there were big losses across the large parties. Uh, The biggest winners, of course, were the the smaller parties. So they made up collectively 22% um, of all votes. And in the most recent days, we've seen a very interesting set of coalition discussions taking place. And, you know, at this point, it it looks as though the Democratic Alliance will be able to put mayors in five um, out of the big eight uh, metropoles. Um, And that signals quite a huge loss for the African National Congress. And, uh, you know, this highlights a lot of concern around how the 2024 national elections are going to play out. I do think that this is a little bit of a fork in the road. If we manage to get coalitions that work on a local government level with um, the Democratic Alliance, potentially with a few other smaller parties that have a mandate that is similar to theirs, uh, we could actually see these being taken up at a provincial level. However, if the number of coalition uh, partners is just too much to actually go forward on decision-making in terms of promoting structural reform, in these areas, uh, you know, then we could see coalitions taking an even bigger um, stake at the 2024 elections, and that could be quite a detrimental outcome for South Africa's economic outlook. If we look at coalition governments elsewhere, um, especially parties that have very different ideological backgrounds, they tend to stall on reforms because it's just so difficult to get anything through and get both parties to sign off on it. Um, so I think this is a really interesting time for elections and how this plays out into the economic environment. 
So that's been it, uh, you know, once again with the Sanisha from uh, our Momentum Investments, just, uh, you know, that last spot around uh, the local uh, government elections. And she's, um, I guess, highlighting the fact that coalitions are likely to be a big reality. And depending on what happens, we might end up, you know, seeing our coalitions becoming a feature, you know, on a provincial level. Sanisha, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much, Madiwa. This is Mudiwa's take. Great conversation with uh, Sanisha there. And I think it sort of brings together uh, a bunch of themes that we've been seeing um, in and around uh, South Africa and the world um, economically for, you know, the last uh, year or so. Uh, a pretty good, uh, you know, roundup. And one of the things we always talk about is the fact that the economy is cyclical. You know, one thing does lead to another and there's a lot of interconnectedness. So, Whilst things might seem, you know, a bit um, out there, for example, the U.S.-China trade war or what the U.S. is doing with interest rates, all of it has some type of uh, um, some type of an effect on what happens in South Africa. So, for example, the U.S. and China being two of South Africa's biggest um, trading trading partners, you know, where that comes to imports and exports. But at the same time, when you look at the U.S. Uh, interest rate decisions. You know, those things tend to then filter into the rest of the world and our Reserve Bank um, and Monetary Policy Committee, you know, sometimes takes the lead uh, from what's going on over there. And then at the same time, tying it in with uh, the recent elections um, as well, because, you know, we've got all of these issues of service delivery and all of that. Uh, but the amounts of money that the government is able to, let's say, borrow um, it, borrow uh, as a way to fund its activities all of that stuff um, comes from that ability to to have good uh, ratings but at the same time have sound fiscal and monetary policies in place you know just so that you don't yeah you don't do too much or destabilize the system Going forward, it will be interesting to see whether, you know, how far we're going to go with the interest rate hikes. The Reserve Bank has given uh, some guidance just around, you know, where we should see things going. We're likely going to be seeing um, these 25 to 50 basis point um, hikes, you know, for the next couple of um, MPC meeting uh, cycles, you know. But how far is it actually going to go as a way to actually bring down uh, some of the inflationary pressures that are being felt um, at the moment and also uh, there was the oil price it's something that we didn't spend too much time talking about but all of that stuff is feeding in because at the moment consumer baskets are being you know uh, burdened uh, by the cost of oil which is translating to higher fuel prices uh, right now I'm sort of sitting close to you know close to that 20 rand mark and um, all of that stuff just feeding um, into you know where we are as a country And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Pocket Cast or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been with your Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail, and this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So, for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.